Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a degree I definitely remember every single word of, and it gives a massive amount of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, my very old friend, the utterly hilarious and completely lovely Stephen Bailey. Hi, Stephen. babe. How are you? I'm really good, thanks for having me. I feel very relaxed right now. Good. Well, as normal on Psychomedy, Stephen is relaxing on my sofa here. He is um, sitting with his knees under cushions, which we're going to totally psychoanalyse later. Does it mean I'm trying to protect my penis? <laughs> That's exactly what it means. Yeah, I thought End so. End of the psychoanalysis. I don't have a BA honours in psychology, <laughs> but I knew that. <laughs> so... Um, have you, uh, I believe you've done some therapy or your... Yeah, I've done yeah. therapy. Yeah. I did it once at the start of the year because I was in a new relationship and I wanted to get rid of the baggage of a previous relationship. Mm. And then I've just started it again recently because I realised, I think I might be one of those people that's happier in therapy. <laughs> I do. Like, yeah. I had two months off and I was like, oh God, I feel all hazy. And I've gone back and I feel great again. I feel strong. Yeah. Well, therapy's good. I mean, it's... It's, you're, you're taking care of your mind. You're making your mind better. Why? why? I mean, imagine you get paid. You're doing this wrong because I pay someone <laughs> like 70 quid an hour to do, just to listen. We'll ask for some money on the way out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's great that you're, um, that you're really enjoying it. Any, any particular type of thera- therapy that you're enjoying? Or? It's CBT. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, CBT. Yeah. I was getting that confused with the drug oil thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, combine the two. Yeah, I, uh, I do I've sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, what what particularly is that giving you week to week? Apart from happiness, is there any more detail you can give us on what what that's giving you in terms of? Yeah, um, I fa- do. You know what I find it is? Is I mm. think we. I don't know if everyone does this, but if I have a question or a problem or something I'm just struggling with, like mentally, that everyone else might think is ridiculous, like if you don't get a job or if your boyfriend leaves like dishes on the side all the time or something like that. Like I find I ask like 10 to 15 people. And the problem with that is everyone's got different (laughs) opinions. So you'll ask your agent, you'll ask your producer, then I'll ring my PR lady, I'll speak to my mum, then I'll speak to my dad, my sister, my best mate, Riggers, a couple of comedians. By the end of it, everyone has a different opinion. And then I don't know my own opinion. And the greatest thing I've taken from therapy is it is like this neutral source and it is one opinion. And so then I feel stronger afterwards. So it's like, no, I've got, I've got this. I trust my instincts. It's like 10 years ago when I was 24 and I didn't give a fuck about anything. Mm. But I knew it was all going to be okay. I feel like that after therapy. Is that yeah. a good answer? Is no, that a true answer? No, that's great. Okay. That is great. You know, that's why a lot of people do it. You know, they, uh, absolutely. You can, you can have too many opinions. Yeah. <laughs> and most of them are wrong. And you know, sometimes when I'm actually back at therapy and taking it seriously, when I then look at the people I used to ask for opinions, I was like, why am I asking you? You're as messed up as I am. Why am I taking advice from you? You're angry as well. Yeah, well, that's it. At least you're taking the opinion of someone that studied the mind, studied how the mind works. And I'm often talking to people that are working in that business. And I kind of, 
I take their opinions with a pinch of salt like I do with <laughs> most people. Then I start to think about them and think, no, you've actually got a, a point. And of course you've got a point because you've been studying this yeah. for years. It's like you take the opinion of a Well, how of does a doctor. it work for you then? Because like, you've studied psychology. So what do you do when like, you need therapy? Because you're technically one. <laughs> well, I, I studied it 20 years ago. So as I joke about on this sometimes that I have forgotten about and I think just like music or anything else you keep having to study it you, you know if you're going to be an expert in something you have to keep reading about it you have to keep um, studying it and uh, the people that do do that are the best people I think to talk to because they're the most trained yeah so it's definitely not me that's the most trained I haven't been doing this for 20 years I've been uh, <laughs> I've been doing other things <laughs> I think you should have done you'd have a really big house <laughs> Are you not impressed with the size of this house? I like this house. We're in zone two. <laughs> As a stand-up comedian, this is very impressive yeah. to have a house at all. I should be in the skip outside. Um, anyway, so let's talk about comedy. Yeah. So you did your first gig, I believe, in 2011. Is that right? Yeah, February 2011. So we shared some early gig memories, I think, gigging above pubs. My thing now is people that are getting into stand-up, I almost feel a bit like, save yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely, don't do it. Because my mental health was stronger before I mm. became a comedian thing. Mm. Well, of course. Um, so what were you doing before you became a comedian? Immediately before? What were you doing in like, Immediately 2010? Before. And were you thinking about doing comedy for a few years before that? No, not really. I used mm. to work behind the scenes in TV. Yep. So I moved to London to be a runner in TV. And I was mm. like, this is the way I'm going to become Holly Willoughby and become a TV presenter. Because <laughs> I was obsessed with her when she did Extra Factor 2008. Yep. And I was like, this will be my way in. Because it was her way in. She was a runner, receptionist, the Holly okay. Willoughby we know and love. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to do the exact same thing. And it didn't work out like that. And then I worked on like T4 and the right stuff. And the presenters of those shows would be like, you're really funny. Have you ever thought about stand-up? And I was like, have you ever thought about stand-up? No way. Like, I'd never been to a gig before. And oh, then really? eventually when no one was giving me a presenting job, I was like, okay, maybe now's so the never, time. So you never thought about stand-up as a kid or it's never on your mind? As no. A, no. The people I find funniest on TV are... I struggle with comedy because obviously I love like an Alan Carr, a Jason Manford, a Sarah Milliken. Mm. A Nathan Cassidy. A Nathan Cassidy. Okay, fine. Thank you. Thank but you sometimes I watch it and I'm like, I don't, this is weird. And so I used to find people funny like Sally Webster in Coronation Street <laughs> or Kat Slater. Like I find characters funnier. Oh, totally. I'm with you there. Yeah. Non-comedians are much funnier than comedians. Um, yeah. You know, Tony Green on bullseye he's oh funnier God. than any comedian um but let's not go into that i'm too um, young for that reference i'm sorry yes okay all right we'll update, <laughs> we'll update the references um okay so never never so it was comedy in your um in your household as a child growing up in manchester at all was you no 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 my mum is really funny but she doesn't get anything mm. and then my dad he has no sense of humor at all mm. like but he thinks he's funny, but nothing else is funny. Everyone else is a knob. So some comedian will be on TV. He'll be like, why is he on this? He's a knob. Like, that's his thing. Like, he won't laugh. I don't think he's got the laughing gene. <laughs> Does he laugh at you? No, he says I'm the least funny person he's ever seen. <laughs> he does. Right, wow. He really doesn't think I'm funny. And then he starts Still giving me jokes that he has got out of Christmas crackers. And the only time he finds me funny is if I say something out of my mouth that he said word for word. <laughs> like, he always called me Boy George as a kid. And then I'm like, well, you wonder why I'm gay. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Jeff. So he thinks that's funny because he's just realised that it might be true. <laughs> he's like, oh, all right. Maybe I am a gay maker. <laughs> but he's supportive, is he, of your career, your parents? No. Um, okay. Because they're very nervous. Because you know, do you know, like, well, you know, in this industry, we, there are working class comedians that are not poor. Mm. They just have an accent. They have a regional accent. <laughs> but we're the working class comedian where I am poor. There mm. is no inheritance. They don't own their home. Me and okay. my sister might get a grand each. Now that is very lucky, because some people don't have a grand. Mm. But I, my dad's always nervous because he's like, if you don't have anything booked in next month, how do you eat? But I'm not an idiot. I did work full time, mm. as you remember, until 
I was able to quit. Mm. So I would work and do the gig. And then when I was able to leave, mm. I left. So he's still nervous today? He's still... Yeah, because it's not... Because don't forget, he's from this council state yeah. where they work, you know, 10-hour, 11-hour, 12-hour days, Monday to Friday, sometimes Monday to Saturday, mm. and still by the end of the month have zero. Mm. So in his head, you work every single day, mm. that pays your bills, allows you a night out, and then you've still got no money left. Mm. And so he doesn't understand how I can work not every day mm. and be in the same position. Mm. So he's really worried. And is that a jokey thing with you, that the, the kind of lack of support? Or do, do, does that affect you in terms of you'd, you'd like more support from your parents? And from, no, I'm quite... Choices? To be honest, I think, in a way, it's good they're like that because it drives me to earn. I think because we are surrounded by so many people that are like, yeah, I'm just working on a script. And it's like, yeah, that's because your dad pays for your house in Paddington. <laughs> like, I can't just work on a script. And it just, it's, for me, it's that it stops me going mad. So it oh. drives me to make sure I earn a monthly living. But also, it stops me going mad and being like, why do they get to sit over there and work in a script and hang out in a gang at Soho Theatre? And I'm on my way to Hull. And then in the morning, I've got to get up to do this thing and that thing. And I've oh. still got to write that script. And I need to meet that person and do that podcast and do this and do whatever. Oh. But I, I had stuff to take those gigs that not necessarily we enjoy as much. I just have to make sure I'm always earning money. Mm. So, but it stops me going mad and getting bitter and jealous. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I sometimes have an outburst. <laughs> but it stops me going completely mad because I've got my parents going, yeah, you have to have money. And you go, oh, the reason it's different is because I'm poor. Like, I know I'm not right now, mm. but I was and mm. I could be again. And there's no inheritance. Like some, I feel like some comedians are waiting for their parents to croak it because <laughs> A, they'll have a new Edinburgh hour and B, they'll inherit a house <laughs> that's already paid off that they can live in. But I used to have a big beam on it. Do you know when we were starting out and in the first like four years or whatever, I feel like people really look down at you if you still had a job. Or, and, and it's like, well, hold on. But I work 12-hour days Mm. And then do four gigs a week. And that's still not enough to earn your respect. Well, it's been in the press recently, hasn't it? In yeah. terms of people in creative industries having, having other jobs. And yeah. uh, it sounds like this makes you happier because it, it gives you that drive. It gives you that, um, yeah. gives you that push that maybe other people don't have. Exactly. And don't get me wrong about my parents, by the way. They, they come to every time I do a tour show in Manchester, they come. Like, they support in that way. Mm. But I think they ground me with the fact of But they going, just don't find it funny. No, they don't find it funny. My mum finds it funny, but I don't really think she knows what's going on. She finds it funny, yeah. I think she'll find it funny because I go, oh my God, like I'll go on stage and I'll be like, guys, I went home and my mum's not wearing a bra and the nipples are pointing out at the bottom of her t-shirt because that's too short. And so she, everyone's laughing at that, but then so is she because she's like, it's true, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> I hold a mirror up to her and I think it really makes her laugh. But let's have a listen to a clip of you uh, doing stand-up at the brilliant uh, Hot Water Comedy Club in Liverpool. I think it really sums up your style and how at ease you are with a crowd. I love how wasted you are. Um, <laughs> I have never made a woman make that noise, but I want to do it again. I want to do it again. <laughs> I like you, bitch. Um, no. And anyway, this guy from Plenty of Fish, he actually sent me a picture of his penis and it just said, thinking of you. <laughs> and it was flaccid. Um, I honestly can't catch a break. I can't, because all I want from life is a relationship like my parents, because they've been together forever because they're brother and sister. Um, <laughs> That's why they don't come to the shows, you know? <laughs> um, I would just like to say that venue has not put me since. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I don't know why. That is, uh, that is confusing. You seem to be stormy there. I'm not Scouse. Mm. The love of Liverpool. <laughs> Honestly, I could sit here for three days. This, this psychology shit is really good for me. <laughs> but, I mean, it seemed to be <laughs> great and you seemed to be full of confidence there. And was the whole gig great? As, as good it as was, that? Yeah, it was great. I mean, yeah. I probably didn't mention Brexit or being a vegan or something. <laughs> no, it's like... Ah, oh dear, Stephen, this is, you're, you're, so every, every time you speak, I have about 20 questions in my head. You're, you're very rich. I'm not, I'm poor. Learn. <laughs> I'm one of the poor ones. When they're all going around, I'm working class, I'm working class. I own three houses, two cars and a dog. 
I'm dying for a puppy and I don't know if I can afford to take it to the vet if it's ill. That's poor, people. Well, actually, poor is probably worse than that, but that's that's art poor. I'm with should, Katie Jarvis. You, you should gig more in Liverpool. They pay very well. Do they? <laughs> Particularly on the second time you're there. They pay really? three times as much if they really like you. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with this industry? Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Um, yeah, God, it's it's just so fascinating that we've talked about this in other podcasts that you have that, you do have that level of success, but I think maybe even more so with you that it's, yeah, do you feel like you're constantly walking on a tightrope and at any time you might fall off and it's, how's your levels of happiness then with the, when the success comes? Because as you say, you have had a good 18 months. Are you, are you relaxed in it at all or are you just worried about the next stage? It's weird because I'm, I am like aware of everything so I don't want to like ever moan and I'm <laughs> no but, I, but what I mean is like I would never genuinely sit there and whinge but I do why are you laughing therapists don't laugh at you they support you they're supposed to support you through your issues sorry sorry I've just it's been, like we're recording this I've just been remembering the first 10 minutes of this podcast that's oh all. That's all. did I whinge no but no. what my thought is is I really tried to enjoy the job and enjoy the moment because you're like, you work so hard mm. for this. Mm. Don't be that person. I think we're all guilty of this anyway, mm. of being like 10 steps ahead. Yeah. But I can't help but go, like say to my agent, of going, it's really great, I've got this job, I'm really excited to do it. Mm. But you can't relax. Like You need to be thinking about the next job while I do this job. Yeah. So it's still in my head, but I am grateful and I make sure I enjoy it. Yeah, so as you say... Um... You know the the success, uh, the recent success has uh, should be making you happy because, um, as we've talked about, there were some struggles in those early days. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you did you suffer at all psychologically, mentally, in terms of those bad gigs when you were first starting out, when we were doing those gigs in 2011, 12, 13, whatever, and a few people there and. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I never felt like, oh, God, there's only six people. Oh. I never had that, but I was always like, when do I start getting paid a bit for this? Or, oh. And I, I think how it affected me mentally was, it's the, comedy was the first time in my life something didn't feel stable because I'd always had a full-time job. So at the end of every month, and even like when I was at uni, I still worked 20 hours a week in a shop. So at the end of every month, I always had a paycheck and yeah. I could always pay my rent. And comedy was the first time where it just knocked stability out of it. And also it's the first time I have stepped into a world where there's just no, I guess there's no meritocracy. Mm. So like in every other job, like, like I got promoted at JJB Sports <laughs> and I only worked there weekends, but then I became like a weekend supervisor. Do you know what I mean? It's now, like, you're just, now you're just bragging. No, no, thank you. And <laughs> you probably got that through your pay. But out. there is nothing, or you get a pay rise or something like that. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, you could do a really good job, but you're not what we're looking for. Or you can in Liverpool, exactly, like exactly, <laughs> like you can yeah. do a really good job at a gig in Liverpool, and they might not book you ever again. And there is no rhyme or reason. And even if there was, they won't tell you. And I, I find it, yeah. And the way I try and explain it to my friend of going, oh my god, this is how my nerves are shot. Most people I know, my life, like my friends are still very much the people I grew up with. Like if I have a couple of days off, I go home and see them. Mm. Like I'm not one of those people that hangs out the Soho Theatre or Angel Comedy with loads of comedians. Mm. And hats off to those people that do and have found really strong friendships in this. But mine is like, it's just real. It's at home. I feel safer there. Mm. But I explained to my friend all the time, I was like, every time I'm getting anxious is because you might interview for a job every three, four, five years. We're doing it like every day. Like we face a level of rejection every day. Like yeah. you could email someone and say, oh, can I come to your club? And then wake up on a Monday morning and have like three no's. Mm. Being like, sorry, for book, sorry. And mm. it's like, oh God, my Monday starts on three rejections. Yeah. And I don't know when my next yes will be. Yeah. So how do you cope with that? I mean, do you suffer from a lot of anxiety? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a new thing through comedy. But then when I started going to a therapist, I told my mum I started to go to a the therapist. 
and she was like, oh, I'm really glad you've gone there. Like, you've been anxious since you were five. And I was like, oh, and you just never bothered to do anything. Like, you could have had it kicked out of me by ten. Um, but, yeah, so I think I've always had it. I've always been a worrier. Mm. But at the same time, a bit fearless. But I think originally, like, when I first moved to London and started working in TV and stuff, it was because I didn't know it would be kind of like this. I thought it would just be like trying to get a job at Sainsbury's and you just need a bit of sass and charisma and be good at your job. Mm. I thought it would follow the same patterns. I didn't really realise that it is a popularity contest. It can be about how you look. It Mm. can be like, oh, we've already got a gay guy. Like, Mm. I thought it'd just be like, you know, I always hoped it would be, you work really, really hard, get really, really good, Mm. and that's enough. And mm. it's still not enough sometimes. And that's the thing I struggle with mm. is, oh, when will I be enough then? Mm. And why am I enough for some people, mm. but not for others? And why the fact that you're enough for, say, that one producer that always books you, or your boyfriend, or your family, or your friends, yeah. and you're enough for all those people, but there's some people that you're not enough for. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people say to me lately, because I don't really... With my stand-up, I don't really pick a topic. I pick what makes me laugh. Mm. But then people are like, but who is Stephen Bailey? And it's like, well, I think I'm funny. I think I'm kind. And then they're like, but is, you know, is he just the gay guy? And it's Mm. like, well, that's your label on me. That's not my label. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, I'm gay. So Mm. my experience would be being gay. And then, and so then it's the first time... Not that I'm not bothered about being a gay person, but it's the first time that's entered my head. And this is in like a woke, kind of forward-thinking industry. Mm. And I feel worse about my sexuality in this industry than I ever had coming into it. I've always been like, oh, fine. Like, um, whereas now in this industry, I'm like, oh, well... I'm gay, so it's just like, I'm just Tom Allen, I'm just Larry Dean, like, we're all the same. And it's like, me, Tom Allen, and Larry Dean on the same show would be freaking hilarious because mm. we're all different. And I also feel like I have to battle going, if I, if you speak about your relationship, you're talking about relationships. If I talk about my relationship, I'm talking about being gay. If a, a woman talks about feminism, mm. you know, they're activists, they're reclaiming their sexuality. If I talk about LGBT rights, I'm just talking about being gay. Mm. And I find all that a struggle. Mm. Jeez, I really went off on one there. No, I mean, I think this is why audiences love you, because you just speak from the heart, you're honest, you want to talk about what you want to talk about, you talk to them, you create these one-off experiences in your shows and you're you're just you're shooting from the hip and there's no there's no filter and are you saying that sometimes in this industry your happiness is affected because people are just trying to guide you and control you and as you say turn you down for stuff maybe because of um, well i think there's i mean i once had word for word we've got the camp box ticked with and we'll mm. say X because I don't want to bring any other comedian to it. But yeah, yeah. I brought, we've got the camp box ticked with X. Yeah. And it's like, mm. oh, so, so you can't have two gay people or we're all the same. or yeah. And it's, it's like every time you come see my show, the journey, for example, I don't really like that word, mm. but from where we start to where we end up is very different. Material will be dotted in and out that is the same, yeah. but we might not always go on the same journey. It depends on that room. It depends who's in there. Um, and I like to feel like, you know, some comedians like, I'm an artist. And I like to feel like, no, we're all in this together. Like, so, and a lot of comedians talk about safe spaces and it's like, I don't intend to make it a safe space, but I like to think, oh, we're all a community for this hour. We're in the room and it's like, we're all sat around a, a table at Weatherspoons, except for this hour, I'm the only one talking. But mm. if I ask you a question, I genuinely want to know um, the answer. Yeah. And also, I I have I feel a bit icky that people pay to see like pay to buy tickets to see us, and I know that's how we make our money. Mm. But then I, because they pay, if they come and see me on tour, and I spent fifteen pound a ticket or whatever it is, I need you to have left having the best time you don't have to say i'm your favorite comedian you don't i don't have to be the best comedian i need you to leave feeling like you were thoroughly 
entertained mm. because I think that's a lot of money for a ticket and not many people come on their own. Yeah. And I think by the time you've bought two tickets, a drinks and a taxi, you've spent a lot of money. And yeah. I am always aware of other people's money. Whereas I know other comedians blame the audience. Yeah. I don't. I'm really respectful yeah. of their money. And it's their money I'm more respectful of. Their money and their time because time is money. Yeah. It's fascinating your, I think your, le- your levels of confidence, but also you're in terms of you're aware of what people are saying. Yeah. And you are in, to a certain extent affected by that because it maybe affects your happiness or gets you down a little bit, but you're, you, you're continuing to plough your field as you should do. Yeah. Um, how would you sum up your kind of confidence in what you're doing? Um, both, both from a every time you're on stage perspective and confidence in terms of this is me, this is who I'm going to be. Um, I definitely think it's, I do think it's been knocked. Like, I have, I, I have confidence on stage. Like, I think I'm funny. I think I can make people laugh. And I think mm. I can entertain people. There is not a confidence issue there. Mm. But I do not believe I deserve to be anywhere. Like, I just did recorded live at the Apollo. Mm. And when I did that, I feel like, and maybe it's, you know, you're not on everyone's, in a monologue so you don't know what people's thinking I certainly didn't say it out loud but I felt like I was walking around the whole backstage almost apologising for being there and there are things like that and um, another comedian that night um, asked me who I was there to watch they just it didn't occur to them that would be on and I feel like that summarises up my confidence oh my God. in this industry is like, I used to be quite a confident person and now it's been not. And do you know what it reminds me of this industry? Being back at school, being back at high school. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I, th- I feel like there are lovely levels of support, but there's also not. Mm. <laughs> um, I see so many of my peers that walk in, it's like they belong there. And I, I wish I had that bit of confidence. Like I wish I walked in and didn't still feel apologetic mm. for being there or taking up a space, or feeling like after some, that person said that to me, I felt like, oh God, I yeah. wish I was here to support someone now. I'd not even performed at that point. I felt, you know, you're like, this is... But it doesn't necessarily make them happier just because they're confident and they no. look like they... It's uh, the same as anything in terms of appearances like Instagram, which is what's, what you see is not yeah. necessarily what's under the surface. And if they are saying things like, who are you here to watch? a nicer comedian would have maybe, even if it was a genuine mistake, they would uh, have thought, well, this is my mistake. You must be on the bill. Or they would have s- assumed you're on the bill. And how nicer to say you're on the bill and actually you're not, you know? Yeah. I assume you're on the bill. <laughs> I just feel like that's what I would have done. I would have been like, oh, what time are you on? Mm. Do you know, rather than, I don't know, I just found it again. I, I, by the way, I don't think it was malicious, but I was just like... No, no, no. It, but do, it just knocks your confidence still and it doesn't make yeah. you feel good. Mm. And um, Do you think a lot of this comes from, comes from uh, finance and, uh, you know, that gives people an extra level of uh, confidence? Where do, you, where do you think those different levels of confidence come from? Um, I don't know. Sometimes question. I think, if I, for me, but I can only talk about me, and it's like... I'm a gay person, so for a certain level of my life, mm. I hid who I was, and it mm. never felt like. And now I sometimes feel like you're a man, but you're not the right kind of man. You're a gay person, but you're not the right kind of gay person. Mm. Like that. Maybe you're the, a comedian, but not the right type of comedian. Yeah, and that's industry. the inner struggle I feel with at the minute. It's like, you know, you're working class, but not the right kind of working class. You're regional, but not. And I feel like, oh my god, like you can't. It drives me insane sometimes, mm. and I really do go into that spiral sometimes, but I try not to. But I, I do think, God, like, I didn't step on a stage. My first time on a stage, which, you know, when you know how flamboyant I am, mm. is weird to think. I've always wanted to perform since, like, S Club 7, but which, don't judge, but I did. And <laughs> um, I've always wanted to perform since that, and it took me, they were out when I was, like, 14, 15, it took me to 25 to stand on a stage mm. because I didn't have the confidence to because I thought people would laugh at me. I thought I'd be terrible. I was like, I almost was like, oh, like I am this camp. People talk about my campness as if I put it on. 
but this is the way I am. I'm, this is the way my voice sounds like. <laughs> and I would prefer not to sound like a 50-year-old female smoker, but that's what I sound like. And it's and people talk to me as if I put it on mm. and I don't. And that's really hard is like having to defend yourself for the way your voice sounds, mm. for the way your you move your arms. You know, you think about that. And it took me so long to get on a stage because I was like, am I just going to get more grief for this? Mm. And do you never think, fuck, fuck you guys, fuck, fuck the haters, fuck people that want... Yeah, I think it all the time, but it still gets me down. Like, I feel like what I always think about myself, it sounds so narcissistic, but I do think uh, you've done what you've done in spite of all this. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that feels quite powerful. And then I go, do you know what? you found this really hard, but imagine where you'll be in the next 10 years or Mm. like, and I don't think there's a lot of, like even just a little thing, like I saw a review of a female comedian in Edinburgh and I wasn't there that this year, that's what I was reading. And um, it was like, you know, they spoke a lot about sex and it was about them reclaiming their womanhood and their sexuality. And I think, good for her, like, yes, girl. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. But then I've read similar reviews of me when I talk about sex. And it's just a stereotypical camp guy, flamboyant. And it's like, no, no, you really don't understand. I'm scared of anal sex. It, it's not, like, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It took me a long time to do it in the beginning. And it's, yeah, and it's like, just because I'm confident in my sexuality mm. doesn't mean that you can knock me for being camp or knock me. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, if I talk about politics somehow they'd find a way of going like, it's just a camp guy talking about gay shit. Even if I was talking about, like, mm. Brexit. Um, do you think, I've been reading today about your, <laughs> your new tour and about how oh, yeah. you're going to maybe go into extra, you know, extra levels of kind of honesty and things you maybe haven't talked about previously. And I think what you've just talked about there, maybe just audiences, critics don't quite get it because you just come across as this confident, Guy, yeah. You know? Are you going to go into a little bit, bit more detail about that yes. truth behind? But what I don't you're like to yeah. over egg it. No, of course, because it's not hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's not hilarious. No. And I, I think I like and to be people on those paying people. fifteen pounds. Like people have said to me before, once they've started laughing, they do not stop till the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's what I want. To Absolutely, me, that's yeah. what a comedian is, and that's not to everyone. And everyone mm. does comedy different, and that's the joy of it all. Yeah. But. That's what I want. So it's like, it's, for me, I've been trying to find a way of doing it where it's just like a line or just a statement or yeah, yeah. just trying to find a way, you know. I think you should play this podcast as people come in. <laughs> Maybe I will. I'll do like... <laughs> this is the truth, but now let's all have a laugh. Let's have a laugh. Or just go in, do you know, like, it's still illegal to be homosexual in 71 countries. Mm. So already, I can't holiday in 71 countries around the world. Mm. Um, and it's like, Dubai has like the fanciest hotel in the world, but I couldn't go with my boyfriend. Um, mm, yeah. And it's things like that. And you, it's like, this is why we need visibility. And do you know what? Even though it's like, oh, it's a gay guy talking about gay shit. Mm. Well, someone has to say it because no straight man's saying it. Yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, Well, I think, again, when those critics say things like that, and it's easy for me to say, though. It, it is very... I, I remember gigging with you in uh, 2012 in quite a high-profile club. Again, we won't mention the name. And it was a gong show. And you, that night, it was was the only gong show I've ever done, probably, no, definitely based on the experience of watching you do it. And we haven't really talked about this since. I don't know whether you even remember it, but it was in about 2012. I don't know whether you did many gong shows. I can't believe you did. But um, it was the only one I did. And you... The, the audience was so homophobic. They shouted some uh, incredibly homophobic things. It made me feel sick. and But we didn't really talk about it. And it kind of, it, at the time, it made me think, well, that was awful. But actually, I didn't, I haven't really processed it, maybe until I was starting to think about talking to you today, in terms of just how awful it was. And I don't know whether you, sounds like a stupid question, but I don't know how, whether it really affected you badly. Because it, thinking about it now, it, it's just... It was just horrible. I don't know if you you even remember it. No, I know which exactly which one you mean. Okay. And um, do you know what it is? I have never experienced homophobia in my life Mm. until I put myself on a stage. Mm. So since this industry. And so then when people are like, he just does jokes or he just does this, it's just that. And it's like, yeah, I have to go up, prove I'm good at my job, Mm. smash it 
and keep smashing it because the minute you give them a beat, mm. that shit happens. Mm. And so, and do you know what? Sometimes I was like, oh God, I wish a producer could give that a go and see how they handled it. Because, mm. do you know, like, I know some female comedians say, like, you know, they have to go up on stage and prove themselves straight, or they feel like they're proving themselves. Mm. And it's like, just because I am a white man, I am a gay white man, and mm. I have to put up with that shit. And so sometimes that really bothers me. It's like, mm. yeah, the reason I have to be funny, regulate and keep going, especially at a club, is mm. because if I bomb, or if I have a gap where a joke doesn't work or anything, mm. that shit could happen. Mm. And that was London. That's everything. That was London. So imagine how vulnerable I feel in, like, I don't know, Coventry. <laughs> and so you mentioned being uh, having a lot of friends from childhood and yeah. uh, or for a, you know a long term rather than comedy friends. Are they the people that truly understand that then and care about you and support you? We talked about your parental support in terms of me as a comedian that night. I probably thought, oh, that was shit. See you later, Stephen. Yeah, you know, see you at the next one. Rather than actually sitting you down and going, Stephen, that I care about you. That was awful. And you know, whereas you, your real friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not saying we're not real friends, but you're long-term friends. Yeah, um, yeah I think they get it. To get it, that support. I'm very lucky because actually a lot of them will, especially when I'm on tour, so I'm actually on my own, yeah. a lot of them will come, mm. like, just to, like, be with me or to go out. And obviously it's a nice way for them to get to see me and have a catch-up as well. Mm. But they are good at, like, not letting me be anywhere on my own too much and it, it's not anything like don't get me wrong I'm not experienced this is not one of those things where it's like everyone's homophobic I experience it everywhere mm. it is very few times mm. I have experienced it but I have only experienced it since being a stand-up comedian yeah you say very few times I mean how many times are we talking about uh, a couple of times a year and yeah. sometimes let me tell you as well is it is homophobia but just because I smash the gig and put down the heckler it doesn't take away that it is still homophobia. Of course. But what I find about that is sometimes I think, do you know all these comedians that they'll, anything that happens on the comedy circuit, mm. if it happens to the right kind of comedian, mm. well, you've got their support. And sometimes I think, can I just have a bit of your support? Can mm. you just tell your audience that it's not okay to be homophobic mm. as well? Is that is that all right? Mm. Yeah. God, I mean, you mentioned a second ago that you shouldn't, you know, it's almost like you shouldn't you shouldn't feel some sense of pride, or that you you haven't had the money behind you that you uh, that you've done this in spite of not having the money. You've done this in spite of yeah having those extra challenges that other people other people don't have, and that's where you know if I don't know what whether you thought you're talking to your therapist about or whether you're talking about these kind of issues, but just to you, yeah. I mean, I would just look into your eyes if I could at this point, although we're not allowed to, in terms of like, oh. you should be proud of this, you know, not in a, yeah. not in a try it where this is, this is great what you've done and it's great that you've had su such success because I know how hard the job is, even though, you know, I, I used to do a job that used to pay a bit of money, so I've had a bit of a start financially and I don't have to suffer that. Yeah, I've experienced really bad homophobia and then my bosses, which in those moments are promoters, mm blame you mm. and then you go oh my god it's, it's my fault I'm being gay and it's like even though that's not what anyone's saying that's what your brain does to you isn't it mm. and sometimes it's like come on like <laughs> I'm working hard I'm doing that like just because I'm not over egging going like I experience homophobia all the times and here's some homophobic stats and da 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 mm. and then doing some jokes just because I do jokes it's like, it's not me just being camp or it's not me um, having nothing to say. That's the thing. Who is Stephen Bailey? Who's Stephen Bailey? It's like, I've got something to say, but I've also got something to prove. Mm. So it's like, mm, I'll tweet about stats till the cows come home. I'll write an Instagram post about it. Mm. If, homo if I've seen some horrific homophobic crime in London mm. I'll put up on Facebook and be like this shouldn't be happening mm. but on that stage sometimes you're only given 20 minutes it might be an agent showcase got 10 minutes mm. so do you know what I'm going to prove to you I'm really funny I'm yeah. really camp people like me I mean I have some straight men cover their mouth when they're laughing at me 
Like, they shouldn't be laughing. And I, I've had to find out a line. Like, no, I can't think... Well, maybe there are... I'm sure there are other groups where it's like they had to find a line. But it's like, I have to find a line to overcome the fact that you're refusing to laugh because it, it'll make you look gay or something. Mm. So I've come up with lines about that. <laughs> but it's like, it's all those little things like... It feels like a constant battle. And don't get me wrong, that is the exciting thing. And don't yeah. get me wrong, when it's like a Stephen Bailey-specific show, it's completely different again. Because no one's coming to abuse me at my no, show. No, of course. They'll wait till afterwards. Yeah. Attack me in the alleyway. <laughs> yeah. That's just your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, it's so interesting to, to hear you say you hadn't experienced homophobia before you did comedy and then... You know, comedy. Even though you have it a couple of times, a couple of times a year, you can't use the word only there. It's just, mm. it's just terrific. And I think comedy does give people the um, uh, forum to yeah. be at their worst in the audience, particularly at nights like those gong shows. Yeah, where it's just like it's almost like okay, guys, and all, it puts... all bets are off. You can be as awful as you want to be. And it's very weird because it, it is almost proved to me to go. Do you know what? When I didn't used to put myself out there, I'd just be my safe circle of my friends. Mm. I think that's why I am so confident in the fact the way I am at camp and my arms wave and a bit flamboyant is because I never took myself out of my circle so of course I was safe mm. and you know like whenever we went yeah. to like if we went to like a tiger tiger or somewhere like a heavy straight nightclub I'd always be like can I have the like I'd sit in the safest position so no one could get to me right and it's like now I put myself out there in in this forum where it's like <laughs> come and get it position, and yeah. people do yeah slags <laughs> Nice. Well, as I say, you know, the fact that you've, um, you know, um, achieved so much, I, th- I just think it's, uh, I just think it's great. And uh, it's easy for me to say, but uh, fuck, fuck them. And uh, fuck them all. Fuck them all. Uh, I've definitely got more angry about it. I mean, I can see myself doing one of those TED Talk comedy shows soon. Mm. Do you know where you have a, just a rant about the world? Well, you do come out, you do come out online and do, you know, because you have talked about, um you know, this kind of thing online. You talked about class and this kind of thing. You do talk yeah. about this kind of thing probably more than other comedians. But it's then like people you go, have... you're having a breakdown. And it's like, well, I can't win. Like, just because yeah. someone else puts it on a stage at a theatre, yeah. well, I choose not to do it there because I feel like you've paid for a comedy show. Yeah. So I might touch upon it or I might say, or I might do it in a way, I always think I do it in a way sometimes where I repeat what my dad might have said, which might have been a bit small-minded or repeat what some fancy producer said to me about, being gay, which sounds ridiculous. And then that gets a laugh. And in my head, that goes, that's how I've proved my point, because you're laughing at the nonsense. Mm. And that means I don't have to over-egg what I'm trying to say. But I think, oh, God. So I always try and do, like, social media is where I'll be like, this is exactly what I think about something. But then someone goes, you're having a breakdown. You've not mentioned a dick. <laughs> and do you read some of those comments that you get? And do you read comments These are from you get friends under... that message me privately. <laughs> this is other comedians going like, Stephen, are you having a breakdown? I'm like, no, I am angry at the world. And this is my activism. I'm taking it to social media because I'm yeah. not on tour right now. So I can't put it in a show right now. But it needs to be said right now. <laughs> But that's interesting because you, yeah. you know, you up to this point maybe you haven't felt like you've been able to say it on stage, and maybe with this new tour, maybe yeah. you're going to be saying it slightly more on stage. And I definitely am. I'm trying to be yeah. short and sweet, which I'm not been in this podcast. I've said far too much. But no, it's fine. In the, um, do you know, just back to that Katie Jarvis thing. This was just another thing where I was like, oh my god, rich people love a bit of activism because it was nice that a lot of people got behind her, and I think a lot of people got behind her in the right way. But mm. there was a few that made me eye roll. Like someone else tweeted, be like, yeah, when I'm not acting, I'm a landlady, I'm a blogger, and I'm like, <laughs> that's not the same as being a security guard at being in bargains. <laughs> You're a landlady with all your six houses. Oh, I feel sorry for you that when you're not acting, you just have to, you know, maybe Airbnb a flat. What the fuck? What's wrong with people? So, <laughs> so, um, I'm a landlady. I'm a blogger. I swear it was something else. Oh, that I'm was it. I'm an blogger. upcycler. I'm an upcycler. <laughs> That's not the same. That's not what Katie Jarvis is going through. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. That can go on my new show. That's just re-angered me. No, everything we cover in this podcast is written by me. So uh, you're going to you're gonna have, to, you're gonna have to credit me. With Co-write. Oh, Co-write. Good. Oops, I, um, I had to Google what that was. 
upcycling. I thought it's, it's recycling. But you do it all. <laughs> and just maybe finally, we joked about this at the start, but yeah. you know, if you are on the celebrity chase, or is there something you think you could do, and your parents will then relax and would say to you, Stephen, you you were right. You made the right choice in your career, and we give you our full support. Yes, it'll be strictly because. <laughs> When I did two episodes of Coronation Street, it was the only time they Facebook shared what I do, like, because they knew what it was. Whereas when you're like, Mum, I'm going to be on, like, an episode of Takeshi's Castle. <laughs> All right. Is that live? No, Mum, it's a TV show. All right. <laughs> but is there something, you know, maybe to end on a serious note, that you'd like uh, from, from them and, and you know... From my parents. If you are on, if you are on Strictly, for them to look you in the eye, and is there anything you're missing there in terms of? No, I don't need. I think what I need is to know that they know I'm all right. Like I don't want them to worry that I'm always going to be homeless, or if they're not here one day, how will I live? Or do you know that kind of thing? I don't want them to have that worry. So if mm. I can get rid, of, do something that gets rid of that worry, mm. even if it's just like. You know, it's like you get cast in a sitcom or, I don't know, something like that. So I just want them to know I'm, like, financially safe. Yeah. Whereas at the minute, they're like, you working this month? No. <laughs> All right. You working this month? Yeah, yeah, I'm working this month. All right. So then, like, they'll feel safe in September, but in October, they go into bed a nervous wreck. Like, I just want them to feel... Mm. I don't want them to worry that... But what about you? What about... I think they're happy now I've got a lawyer boyfriend. Yeah. But what about you? Do, you? do you feel loved? Yeah, I always felt loved. Yeah. I think the thing I would like a bit more is, but I think if I ask you the same question, you would feel the same way, is I, sometimes I feel isolated in our industry. Mm. Like I feel like, oh God, I'm really out here peddling alone and no one really gives a shit how you're doing. Yeah. And I would like sometimes, I wish I had colleagues. I guess that's how I feel. That is what I'm missing. I wish I had colleagues. And I think it's because I've always worked a proper job. I've always had colleagues. So if you're struggling, you, like when I worked in TV, if I didn't understand how something was done or, oh, someone needed something and I didn't know how to get it there or I just didn't know how to achieve something, you'd go and speak to say, Hayley or Laura, mm. in, like on one of the other desks and you'd work through it together. And I feel like I wish we had a bit of that. Yeah. But often your colleagues don't really, really care about you, do you? I mean... But I feel like the people that matter care about me, like my mum and dad yeah. and my... But it's, the fact is, you know, most people's jobs take up a good percentage of their week. Yeah. Like, it's what people do every day. And so sometimes I think, oh, it would be nice if someone said, oh, do you want to, like, get together and write together in a cafe? Or just, like, yeah. should we do our admin together this week? Or yeah. um, do you want to try and come up with a format idea? I think... Sometimes it is so isolating. You're on your own yeah. doing your admin. You're on your own doing any writing. You're yeah. on your own driving to that gig. You've got a, an hour maybe backstage with someone if you're at a gig. Like, yeah. And I, I find that isolation. I feel like I've depressed you. No, no, no. no. Like, it's, 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 I feel that's the isolation I, know that it, I struggle I with. I know there's a lack of, there is a lack of love and care. And even people that uh, seemingly love and care about you in this industry could turn around and do something awful to you. And that's, that's the truth of it. Yeah. Um, and people can be backstage at the Apollo asking you whether you're on the bill. <laughs> I can't believe you're on the bill there, Stephen. Genuinely, you're on the bill? Who are you there to support? No, really, come on, admit it. Who, you weren't really anyway. It's like, I like to say that wasn't, that was just thoughtless. Yeah. But I do think Come on, let's get together. Let's have this little... I feel like there's a lot of it online, but and I know it's hard for people to get to everyone's mental states in different places, but I just think, mm. even if it's just like three or four people that I got on with, three or four people you got on with, just got together and had breakfast once a week, just go, yeah. in this daft art, I auditioned for this thing, and they said, um, your camp, as if I've never realised. Mm. That's my favourite, is when people tell me I'm gay like I don't know yet. <laughs> But maybe we should just say it out loud more what we feel because we we rarely see each other and I would like to see you more and that kind of thing. So it's maybe, you know, people do say it online but paid lip service to it and uh, we should do it in reality. Let's hook up more. I'd be happy to <laughs> if you'd look me in the fucking face. 
He's not looking at me. I have Podcast felt like this, is, this has been unnatural for you because you do like looking me in the eye, don't I've you? looked at you the whole time. I know you have. I know you have. <laughs> I know you have. Listen, that's how me and my therapist do it. He doesn't look away. He looks me in the eyes. I, I've been trying to keep the, the shtick of this podcast. You've been breaking the rules. We might not release this. <laughs> release this. Release. Anyway, Stephen. Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's Am I the just... most honest you've ever had? Um, I mean, you've certainly been honest. Other people have been honest as well. But, well, I've um, seen your list. Some of those people you've, you... are media trained. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'll tell you that. I've seen your list. Some of yeah. those are media to trained. Be on, to, be on, to be totally honest with you, Stephen, at the final point in this podcast, we were just ticking the can box with uh, having you on. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, I don't mind if I'm used in that way. Some people don't want to be the box ticked. I'll happily be box ticked. <laughs> oh, God. No, in seriousness, God, I mean, it's just been beautiful watching your success um, over the last few years. And of course, it's going to continue. And uh, if your parents are listening, I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to be working next week, next year, and uh, <laughs> maybe not in two years' time. We all have a shelf lit. No, your parents. It's just going to keep... <laughs> if we anyway. stay in Europe, I'm going to go and live in France for a year. He's big, in, he's big in Liverpool. He's big in commentary, and that's all that matters. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, babe. Thank you. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more side comedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Casty, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed, and there's video clips, etc. at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Stephen Comedy. Thank you again, Stephen. Thanks, babe. Lots of love. See you again next week. Tara.